Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is Oklahoma Perspective. It's a brave new world in the classroom, and much of that change can be directly attributed to the Internet. But even though so much opportunity is made available on the World Wide Web, there are also dangers. Elizabeth Laird is with the Center for Technology and Democracy in Washington, D.C. She outlines some of the issues parents should be aware of when their children are online. We are seeing some interesting things happening in the world of education here in Oklahoma in particular. Um, it's, it's been a battle. And teachers, students, parents fighting all kinds of maybe little fights they never expected to fight a few years back. And a lot of them involve technology and um, our, our kids using social media, getting exposed to stuff on the Internet. We're on with Elizabeth Laird, who's the director of equity in civic technology for CDT, the Center for Democracy and Technology. And you guys have conducted a survey um, Elizabeth, where you went out and, and talked to, I guess, or survey parents, uh, I guess, teachers as well at school administrators. Just tell us a little, give us a little background about what this survey was and what you were trying to find out, please. We surveyed parents and teachers, as you mentioned. We also surveyed high school students themselves to understand what their experience with technology is like. And uh, as you said, um, Technology is certainly expanding in schools, and that's what our surveys show, too. So schools are using an increasingly broad array of technologies aimed at helping students learn and also keeping them safe. But unfortunately, we also found that some are actually interfering with students' education and even more are failing to keep them safe. Hmm. And so the research that we uh, released today shows um, a number of things. I'll start with three. Uh, the first is that almost every teacher we surveyed said that their school uses software that's supposed to restrict access to harmful online content, which sounds good. Um, but what we found is that uh, three quarters of students say that schools have actually gone too far and that this filtering and blocking is actually preventing them from completing school assignments and teachers agreed. Hmm. When it comes to tracking what students are doing online, 88% of teachers said that their school monitors what students do online, and one of the common reasons we hear that is to keep them safe. Um, and of those teachers, 4 in 10 report that they know of a student who's been contacted by law enforcement because of this. Um, and then the last uh, finding that I'll point out for now is the technology that needs no introduction that took the school system by storm, and that's generative AI. So half of teachers say that they know of a student who's gotten in trouble for using this technology when only a quarter of teachers received any guidance from schools about how to respond if they suspect a student of cheating. Okay, wow. A lot to unpack there. Um, but let's, let's start with, you know, this is one of the oldest conundrums that we deal with in a, in a democratic society or a society that prides itself on having you know, freedoms is how do you balance freedom and safety? And I guess especially when it comes to our kids. And so, you know, here you've, you've got a situation where, of course, they're incorporating tech in the schools. They have to. These kids have to have that kind of background, have to have those kind of skills, or they're never going to be able to work. Five years from now, there will be no jobs for them, right? But at the same time, how do you, how do you protect them from the dark web and from predators and people that would target them? Um, it's, it's, a tough, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. So your survey, though, is, is saying maybe that we're 
going too far in in trying to protect them and and in doing them harm at the, in the process am i getting that right i think our survey what it does is it looks it looked at different uses of data and technology and i think what we're trying to do is identify common privacy and even equity concerns so that school leaders to your point can support the responsible and necessary use of technology by students and address the ways that it could be causing harm. And so what I would suggest to your listeners is let's not accept that the use of technology has to come at the expense of people's privacy, that students have to be discriminated against because we're using technology in the classroom. Um, For a lot of people, privacy is safety. And so what I hope is that our research shows where um, there are some common themes that once you name them, school leaders can address them. So I would offer a couple. Um, One uh, finding that our research shows is that schools are not providing adequate resources or transparency to the folks who we surveyed. So across the board, they want more from schools, they want more guidance, they want more training. Um, And one of the places that this is coming up is in the context of what content is filtered and blocked. So as I mentioned, a significant issue that our survey uncovered is that it is um, actually preventing students from learning, which is a huge problem. And not only that, the the origin of blocking and restricting restricting content to students started in the early 2000s where it was really focused on um, content that's harmful to minors which typically meant adult explicit online content so uh, pornography Hmm. but our research shows that um, a third of teachers say that their school is more likely to ban content associated with students of color with LGBTQ plus students. And so those same conversations are playing out in schools in terms of what content is available in school libraries. It's happening online. It's just that parents don't know about it. They're not consulted. Only 27% of parents have ever been asked for their input on what they think is harmful to their children. And then the second thing that I would offer is that um, to your point, the technology that's aimed at keeping students safe is actually endangering them. And so uh, a couple of examples there is that um, we're finding that LGBTQ plus students are being outed because of this technology, and that's actually up six percentage points from last year. So now one in five students know a stu- of a student who's been outed, and students with disabilities who are already more vulnerable and marginalized than their peers are more likely to be contacted by law enforcement due to online alerts. Okay, so who who is making this decision? If it's not the parents, if you know only a quarter of parents have even been asked, "Hey, you know, here's a list of stuff. What stuff do you think we should be protecting your children from?" Um, what who's making these decisions, and based on what? And is this being done, you know, in open public forums, or you know, are there decision making? I guess it, it probably varies wildly b- between the thousands of school districts around the country. I don't know. Sure. What can you tell me? Yeah, you're asking all the right questions. And I can tell you what we see in our survey. But to your point, um, there's a lot we don't know because schools aren't transparent about it. Um, but most of these decisions will be made at the school or school district level. Um, and I think if, if one thing came through very clearly in our research, it's that parents want to be more involved. Uh, we actually saw a 12 percentage point increase in parents being concerned about student privacy over last year. And in addition to that, we also found that one in five parents have been notified by a data breach by their school. So what we found is that parents, uh, are their concerns are high and they're rising. They want to be involved and schools are not finding meaningful ways to involve them. Um, 
So my hope is that with releasing this research, we can equip parents with the types of questions that they should be asking their schools. And hopefully, you know, schools have better answers for parents than they do right now. And so not to belabor the point, but what questions do you believe that parents should be asking their schools? Uh, It's not belaboring at all. I would say to your listeners who are parents of students in K-12 schools that they should not be bearing this burden alone and that schools really need to do more. And so the types of questions I would offer um, parents to start with um, to ask their, their school about their practices in these areas is, one, how prepared are they for a data breach? We know that this is becoming more and more common. Two, to your earlier point, what kind of content is filtered or blocked and why? Three, who gets student activity monitoring alerts outside of school hours? Um, We know that law enforcement can be heavily involved in this and parents have no idea. And finally, as we enter the new school year, um, and generative AI is is certainly not going away, what kind of guidance has the school provided to teachers about how students are allowed to use it? And not just that, but what are appropriate responses if if they believe that a student might have used generative AI in ways that are not permitted? And... You know, are the schools quantifying what the uses of generative AI are, you know, the large language models, for example, for writing um, reports? Or, you know, uh, I, I just wonder if the schools have caught up. I mean, the technology uh, has has galloped ahead of policy, and that, again, is a recurring theme of the late 20th and early 21st centuries. So, I, I, you know, I guess the, the question is, do the schools themselves have a grip on what is possible these days? And have they come up with any kind of policies to address that? B, have they communicated that, like you said, to the teachers? C, has that all been communicated to the students and, and parents so that everybody's on the same page? I think we're, we're building the airplane as we fly it here a little bit. So, you know, I could see where... There's a lot of work to be done, but those are great questions for parents to be asking. And 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 what you're telling me is your survey shows that there are more parents that are beginning to, to start asking these questions and, and get involved. Absolutely. Yeah, we found, um, as I mentioned before, a, a quite a significant increase um, in parents being concerned about these things. So I would just really hope that, that your listeners know that they're not alone in this. Um, and that hopefully more and more parents, as they learn more, um, can demand better of their schools because they deserve that. Elizabeth Laird with the Center for Technology and Democracy. You're listening to Oklahoma Perspective. Shoshana McNoe is with a group called Safe Kids Worldwide. She talks to KRMG's Russell Mills about a particular childhood danger many parents might overlook, trains. We're going to talk today about something that I didn't think I'd needed to talk about you know the the information that was sent to me was was a little surprising and and i and i'm not gonna lie i was like is is that actually a thing talking about safety of children around trains and train tracks i mean how how concerning is this because i you know i grew up in in montana we had trains going through all the time big long trains sometimes that would be a half an hour long and we used to do stupid stuff around train tracks but you know i guess kids are just fascinated and they're just drawn especially boys i would imagine i don't know but what you know how how kind of kind of go over the scope of this issue for me if you would shoshana Sure, um, and thank you for having me on, David. Um, I'm excited to to talk about rail safety. Um, as you know, Safe Kids Worldwide, we're partnering with Union Pacific 
to raise um, awareness around this issue. And as you mentioned, a lot of people, even those who grew up around track, don't realize the, the, the issue that it is and the, the challenge that it is. And one of the facts that we like to share just to, to raise people's awareness is that kids are hit by trains more than people think. In fact, every five days, a child between the ages of zero and 19 is killed in a train collision. And um, you did mention correctly that boys are at higher risk. They're more than three times as likely as girls to be fatally Ooh, struck. Nailed that one. When we talk about that, I'm sorry? I said I nailed that one. That was just a guess, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I interrupted you. Go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, you got that part right. And in terms of age group, you know, the, the, the stat I gave every five days is kids eight, zero to 19. And within that age group, it's the older teens, the 15 to 19, um, that are far more at risk for being injured or killed by the train. So it's that teen, 15 to 19 um, year old, you know, they tend to lean a little bit more towards the risky behavior. They think it's cool or fun to hang out um, by the track. Um, and so, you know, they're trespassing and, and um, unfortunately uh, get hit um, by, by, by a train. Well, and that makes perfect sense to me. The little ones are, are, are bright enough to know that's a big, loud, scary thing that they shouldn't get too close to. Teenagers, uh, unfortunately, develop this attitude of, A, I'm invulnerable, and, and, and B, you know, I'm just the thrill of getting too close, of trying to jump on or off the tracks in front of a train or trying to actually jump onto a moving train or whatever. I'm guessing that that kind of activity is what we're talking about here, not just children strolling carefully down the tracks and suddenly getting run over by a train, right? Well, well, sometimes it, that is the case um, in terms of just walking by the track or they're there to take pictures or they're hanging out by their friends. And one of the things, you know, you mentioned the trains are loud and scary, but actually um, one of the things that we're doing um, is letting people know that trains are actually quieter than people think. So there is that stereotype or that visual of the loud train, and so people think they will hear the train coming, but they all, they, but that's not always the case. You don't always hear a train coming, so it's not as loud. So, you know, we created this infographic a couple of years ago, and it's called Retrain Your Brain. And so we're trying to sort of help people to reframe and to rethink um, some of the ways that they've thought about trains. And so that is one of them. Trains, especially these modern trains, they are a lot quieter than people think. Also, the trains are wider. They're larger than people think. So they may think, oh, I got across the track. But a train is at least sometimes can be up to three feet um, wide on each side of the track. So you may have crossed over the, the rail itself, but the, you can still get hit by the train because the train is bigger than the track. Um, so, you know, we're just really trying to, to get people to, to, to rethink how they think about how about trains and tracks and, and being around trains and tracks. Okay, then that statistic of every five days a child's killed by a train, is that a, a, a global statistic? Is that in the United States? Um, that is in the, the United States, and we're looking at between 2013 and numbers from between 2013 and 2022. Has the problem gotten worse in those years? Have we seen it tick up, uh, or has it remained fairly consistent? I think it's remained fairly um, consistent over the last couple of, of years. And so we want to see a downward trend, which is why we're trying to um, provide information, raise awareness, educate, um, you know, teens, kids, parents, caregivers, 
um, so that everyone is, is aware of the issue. Okay, so if it's kids 15 to 19 that are the biggest, the most at risk, we'll say, um, because of the nature of their teenage brains, basically, <laughs> you know, so so obviously the, the solution there is, you know, talk with, with these teenagers about what, you know, about this, this, this safety issue. How do you how do you go about doing that? Because the kids are like, yeah, I already know everything in the world. That's how teenagers are. I know. I've raised them. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. So one of the things is we do want um, parents and caregivers to talk um, to their 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 teenagers, and we actually have a, a, a resource on our um, we have a real safety hub that has resources and tips. And one is how to talk to your teenagers about this. So you know you want to. Um, you know, set the stage and, and talk to them in terms of uh, a culture of safety. So you want to talking about not just rail safety, but, you know, safe pedestrian behavior, if they're already driving, safe driving behavior. So it's talking to your kids, but it's also um, as an adult modeling that behavior. We did some, um, a survey a couple of years ago, and we found that most parents, um, they admitted to participating in risky behavior as well. So one of the things we like to say is, you know, your kids, whether they're teenagers or younger, they're watching all the time. And so you want to be modeling the behavior that you want them to display as well. So as parents, if you're trying to beat the great as you're driving um, with your teenager in the car or, you know, you're not waiting for the light to, to go off and the, 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 the gate to go up before you go across, you're not modeling, you know, safe behavior. And so they begin to think it's okay to have unsafe behaviors around the track. So modeling behavior is, is great as well. And then we also, um, one of the things that we've also done, we've just completed a contest. Um, it's called Take It From a Teen um, Real Safety Video Challenge. So we are um, using the approach of having teens um, talk to teens. So we ask teens to create videos of how they would talk with their friends about um, real safety. Um, and the winning video was out of Reno, Nevada. And it's um, one of the assets that we've been promoting last week for Real Safety Week, but we'll be promoting um, moving forward as well. And then we also have a, another program, it's called um, our service, service Learning Program, Real Safety Service Learning. And here we teach the teens the tips, and then we pair them with elementary school students and have them create um, an activity, um, and then they have to teach the elementary school students the messaging. So using the um, service learning model, the hope and the goal is for the teen to have the messaging reinforced um, in them um, as they teach the elementary mm. school students. So we, we are coming at it from a, a multi-pronged approach um, in, in an effort to, to have an impact on the teen. Shoshana McNoe with Safe Kids Worldwide. You can find more information online at safekids.org forward slash rail safety station. And special thanks to KRMG's Russell Mills for the interviews. This is Oklahoma Perspective for Cox Media Group. I'm Burt Williams.